hit me. Fuck it, I'm gonna do it. Spike Lee Schools Days. <laughs> oh yeah, I I did it. I did it for us. <laughs> and it wasn't terrible. It wasn't as like, but it but I will say it's like a college movie about like you know black frats and 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 you know sororities. But there's like, but it, there were things that I was like, oh, I would definitely cut these five things out, and they're all musical performances. Mm. <laughs> who, who who performs? Just they're all there's like a bunch of different events that go to, but it's like he'll let a whole song happen, and then there's one sequence that is actually like pretty terrible because it's like at a football game, but they never show any football at all, and you could tell it's like from the budget. <laughs> it's just like so weird that could have gone. It was out of place. Is it like a sex comedy? Kind of. It has. It definitely has elements of that. Definitely has some shit that would not fly today. <laughs> like, yeah. Speaking of auteurs that come up a lot, mm. I watched. I rewatched The Last Temptation of Christ. Yes. And uh, I, oh which was God. one of those ones that, again, I, a few days ago, I was like, I'm not doing it. Yeah, it's one of those movies that it really ha- you have duper geared up for. Uh, yeah. I feel like it, it probably it probably was great in 1988 when you go and see it in the movie theater and you're immersed and you know I believe you're, you were you were calling it the event film of 88 if I'm not mistaken. I think so. <laughs> yeah, I think it's kind of like the big yeah like controversial event film of that year. Yeah, um, his uh, disciples are all like Brooklyn, you know, uh, <laughs> John Laurie and Harvey Keitel. John Laurie, Harvey Keitel with like uh, his red curly hair. <laughs> And a fake nose, like they're trying to make him look like a fucking is the Jew nose fake? from I, is Sheep the nose, Shed Bay. Is the nose fake? The I, nose I was is just fake. looking at a picture the other day when we were talking about this, and I it is fake. He just has this scowl on his face the entire movie. With he plays um Judas Iscariot. Uh, I think that my favorite performance has to be David Bowie as Pontius Pilate. That's like the most grounded performance in the whole movie he's the one who really uh he's the one who understood the assignment you're trying to say i kind of like those big jewish those big J- jewish I, they are jewish but those big those big uh, jesus movies um because i also liked the uh the passion of the christ as well <laughs> i remember seeing that on uh my family's dell computer uh i guess i don't know like maybe oh, wow. i guess the year it came out i guess i i had uh what do you call it torrented or whatever uh and just being like why am i watching this and but like finishing it (laughs) yeah it was really good i i I literally don't remember and i don't know if we when we get to that year i I don't know if i'm gonna revisit that one i've never revisited it i saw it in theater i don't think it's not one that i don't know the kind of i don't know i want to know the kind of people who are revisiting the passion of the christ uh, there was, I remember there was ladies outside of the, uh, like old, like church going ladies outside of the cinema and they were handing out um, uh, tissue packets with uh, Proverbs on the back of them. Unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, last temptation of Christ. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's get out of, <laughs> let's get out of uh, passion. Yeah. Us, it, it, it humanizes him in the way because it, it makes it it shows the kind of decisions that he had to overcome like for the good of man and you know for all of our sins whereas like yeah. the mel gibson movie is like <laughs> almost like an snm fuck like violence porn it's, um what is it passion of the crisis cruising for christians cruising for yeah it's fucking <laughs> wild that movie it's, it's so you're waiting for uh, you're waiting for the Romans or whatever. What is it? Who is it? The fucking who is it? The yeah, the Romans. Oh. Yeah, the Jews. <laughs> you're waiting for the Jews. It's right. It's the Jew. You're waiting for the pro- persecutors or whatever, like to pull out the Crisco and. This is 86 with Brian and Gore, and we're here to talk about the Academy Award-nominated movies from um, from the year 1988. Well, here we go again. Uh, yeah, the, um, the Oscar-nominated films of 1989 celebrating films released in 1988. So I wasn't wrong. <clears throat> well, you said 1988. We did that one already. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oscars call it 89. Uh, well, I don't know yeah. why we have me do that part because I'm gonna I'm gonna fuck it up every single week. I like correcting you every week, um, okay. and also to see how if you get it or not. Um, 
Um, no, so the films released uh, or the films nominated in 1999 were a varied bunch. Uh, 1999? 1989, sorry. These are them. Uh, starting off with Rain Man, which was the winner uh, that year. Is Rain Man still considered a... Um... Is that is that still considered like a good portrayal? No, absolutely. Okay, no, it's like kind of an offensive portrayal of autism. Yeah, it's that, right? a well, it's kind of base, like a very base uh, portrayal, very kind of like one note. Is is what I've seen. The funny thing about Rain Man, um, and if you know us, you know how big of Tom Cruise fans we are. That's one of those ones that seeing it today. I've no, I've seen people comment about Rain Man, um, seeing it now and saying that the superior performance actually is Tom Cruise. Oh yeah, it definitely is Tom Cruise in that film, as usual, just being usual Tom, sincere Cruise self. Um, well, and he's really the one who's having to do a lot of the heavy lifting in that movie, I think, too, absolutely. because this, yeah. Dustin Hoffman's good. Uh, I mean, he's always good, but always you know, good, he, yeah. but he he is sort of playing it like very like one note. It is, yeah. You know, and uh, Tom Cruise kind of has to dance around him like the entire yeah. movie. He's it's a it's like this delicate kind of like, uh, you know, tango between those two. Mm. But uh, where it's like, you know, Dustin, <laughs> Dustin Hoffman's like constantly stepping on his feet and he's just like making him look good. If anything, if anything, Tom Cruise is making Dustin Hoffman look good in that movie. But yeah, that was the winner from 1989. Um, uh, next up, we got the accidental tourist with uh, the eighty-sixth favorite, uh, William Hurt, uh, and <laughs> Kathleen Turner. Um, pretty uh, kind of a sad movie. Uh, you know, his son dies, his marriage is falling apart. He's you know trying to get his shit together. Um, four years in a row now that we got William Hurt uh, in some good shit. Uh, next up, we got. Um, a, a personal a personal favorite of mine and like i always like to point out uh a uh a, one of my mom's favorites uh, she put me onto this one uh dangerous liaisons john malkovich glenn close uma thurman keanu reeves like just everybody killing it i recently watched cruel intentions and like this is obviously way much way better i don't know why yeah. everybody thinks that's that it's not that sick um uh, Ryan Phillippe is no John Malkovich. Uh, next up, we got Mississippi Burning, which uh, I'll probably never watch. I do not like that movie. I've heard that is a, that it has aged terribly. Also, aged terribly. Next up, we have uh, if not danger. I mean, actually, more of my favorite than Dangerous Liaisons. Just a movie, a movie that I watched a few months ago. Uh, I've happened to catch on TV like right in the beginning, and I will literally not uh move mike nichols with uh working girl um mm -hmm. starring uh melanie griffith sigourney weaver alec baldwin's in this i mean how much more can you fucking add about working girl it's fantastic it's just a you know great empowering uh kind of just great like uh i don't know a crowd pleaser of a film our, the, the Oscar nominees of 1989 were Rain Man, Accidental Tourist, Dangerous Liaisons, Mississippi Burning, and Working Girl. As always, we have another list. Got a bunch of stuff that came out that year that was really good that didn't get maybe, you know, the love. I think a lot, like most of these didn't, you know, and uh, there was some really, really solid stuff. One of them was Permanent Record. Have you ever seen that one? Keanu no. Reeves. It's a good one. It's a good one. It's kind of River's Edge-esque. Next up is Five Corners. Have you seen this one? Yeah, with Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster, Tim Robbins. Yeah. Great John Turturro in this. Um, yeah. I think this is definitely one of those, like, 80s kind of psychopath dudes <laughs> that we were talking about, where it's, like, Leota and Something Wild and uh, Hopper and Blue Velvet and Willem Dafoe and uh, Wild at Heart, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, interesting little movie. Like, uh, takes place in the Bronx, which I always appreciate. Bronx of the nineteen fifties or whatever. Uh, it's a fun enough time. We got Above the Law, great Steven Seagal banger. You know, just a good time. I remember this being a one of the ones that like my cousins had on VHS and we'd watch. And <laughs> maybe his best. Uh, I mean, it's like peak, under, peak Seagal under, under, under siege. Too. Yeah, that's true. Under siege is like 
super sick. Um, yeah. But above the law is like oh, peak sorry. him being in shape. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's, yeah. His, that's the skintiest he'll ever be. Okay, uh, yeah. Next up, we got uh, Dennis, uh, your boy Dennis Hopper, our boy Dennis mm-hmm. Hopper with colors. Uh, Sean Penn, Robert Duvall, the uh, always uh, splendid uh, Maria Conchita Alonso, always good. Um, Don Cheadle, Don Ch- young 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 Don Cheadle in that. Uh, Damon Wayans, <clears throat> see he shows up in there. I haven't seen mm. him. I haven't seen him in quite some time. You watched this again recently to refresh. I did, yeah. Right? Was it the first yeah. time? Or? Oh. Uh, no, I know I had seen it before, but uh, forever ago. But I forgot how like just gruesomely violent this movie is. Like, yeah, this portrayal of police brutality and like just like life on the streets of Los Angeles during that time period is it's like it's just not something that you see in in sort of big mainstream uh, movies from that era. Except we got Mala Noche by. G- oh yeah uh, what is it gvg or gvz if you will um right z what is it? gvs i thought it was a z gus van sant <laughs> zant gus van zant never heard sant sant saint laurent it's gus van sant <laughs> yeah we got the um uh it's his first film right i was gonna say our very early gus van zant queer classic uh mama yeah. noche uh maniac cop which is uh, oh yeah, good time. If you uh, and talk about another good bad time, <laughs> we got a uh, killer clowns from outer space, which uh, I know mm-hmm. you're a big fan of that soundtrack. Uh, next up, we got something that I just saw recently. It's a pretty fun time. Midnight Run. Oh yeah, um, starring Robert De Niro and the newly uh, and very sadly departed uh, Charles Grodin, who's just about as good as can be in this. <laughs> um, he's great it's a comedy but it's not like it doesn't talk down to the audience it's very smart very adult but like without being like obnoxious or pretentious just kind of just saw good action things that make sense (laughs) you know what i mean like next up we got uh errol morris with thin blue line oh uh great film one of those ones that hits mad hard (laughs) um now more than ever just as much as it did then you know just a, a banger of a film uh errol morris getting down to the fucking nitty-gritty and uh getting it getting dudes out of jail <laughs> yeah like, also changed the way the documentaries are made i mean if you look yeah. at all the netflix documentaries and things that are on now you know like they're really just you know they, they owe a lot to that movie oh yeah Net- every yeah. netflix thing is like trying to be you know, trying to give off the Errol Morris vibes. All right, next up, we got uh, David Cronenberg with uh, Dead Ringers. Um, I thought I had seen this, but I have I hadn't, and then I watched it recently. I was personally not a fan. Um, yeah. I'm more of a I'm more of a fan of uh, his body horror stuff, and this is kind of a little bit more on the like psychological drama i guess there's that one you know kind of dream that he has where she where they're you know uh you know like siamese twins or whatever but um or a joint at the hip i guess i don't know what they were what was going on but um i really like this movie yeah he gives first of all incredible dual performances yeah uh, fantastic fantastic and, and they're both very uh they're just there's subtle differences mm-hmm. in the in the two that you can you can tell but then like even when they kind of meld and, and it gets a little bit muddy mm-hmm. th- there's still like very specific things that he's doing i just think that a lesser actor just wouldn't be able to pull something like that off and he's yeah. he's, re- he's really fantastic uh yeah. i like the movie i like i like the i had remembered it being a little bit more of a body horror movie and when it took a turn for like this sort of lengthy drama yeah. uh like relationship drama between two brothers i i actually really appreciated that um yeah. i also think that the actress uh genevieve uh Bujol, who plays who's the, in the actress yeah the actress She's who plays just, the actress she was really good She's incredible in this movie. Yeah. I really yeah. thought that like her performance sort of grounded the whole thing and made it a little bit less masturbatory. Um, a little creepy. I feel like this movie doesn't get talked about. This aspect of it doesn't get talked about that much, but they're essentially r- raping women. Oh yeah, it's a it's very problematic. Throughout the movie. Oh, it's, it's very extremely. problematic. That's their entire relationship is, uh, you know. Oh, I I like fuck them first and then you you know get my seconds and like it's 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 terrible <laughs> it's completely, it's really bad yeah it's completely fucked up 
And uh, even like the good twin that you're supposed to be sort of rooting for, the sensitive. No, no, no. He, he's like still going along with it. Like he's still a piece of garbage. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's still pretending to be someone else and, you know, having sex with women under false pretenses. And, yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's very creepy. Very creepy. Very creepy film. And, and, I, and the and fact I thought, that they're like gynecologists. I mean, just, you know, the, the whole. Also, the fact that they're in Canada a little. <laughs> always. <laughs> Always, always upsetting. Always, always upsetting. Always You're like, upsetting. I thought everybody was nice there. Uh, what is this Cronenberg Canada that just I don't ever yeah. want to go to? Um, they do not make light of the fact that act that actors are fucking lunatics. Yeah, she's like on drugs, and she's like, oh, like occupational hazard, her, like her drug habit, and like all yeah. this like different. It would, I think he says in the beginning, like. Well, you know, she's an actress. So of course, she's insane. And it's like they like they no qualms about that at all. They're like, oh, yeah, well, of course, it's, it's not even it's not even really questioned. It's more about like, what's your why are you uh, why are you as the uh, supposed like calm twin, like <laughs> having a nervous breakdown, essentially. So two of my favorites from this year that I <laughs> one, I was shown very much on purpose and one I was shown very much uh behind my mother's back and so it's child's play in the land before time um <laughs> so which one was which <laughs> i know right uh yeah child's play my cousins Damn. came over uh for christmas and they would stay like stayed over and it was like my cousins from the lower east side and my cousins from uh, a little further south in the bronx and uh my mom was giving me a my buddy doll and they knew that she was giving me a my buddy doll and she said, do not fucking show Brian the VHS of Child's Play. And the first thing they did was show me the VHS of Child's Play because they had it. Why did, why did she give you the doll? Because that's, it, was like the, it was like the hot doll. I was two years old. It was 1988. The, the buddy doll comes from the movie, though. No, the buddy doll comes from my buddy. Okay, I don't remember. I didn't have a I my buddy. I think so. I think so because I had one. And then, of course, I get a my buddy doll to my like, horror. Wait, and your buddy doesn't have it didn't have like no it's just a, my buddy it's like the nice one it wasn't a deranged one <laughs> Obviously. and it was just sitting on your shelf for what it was just i just i would play with them i got over it eventually uh <laughs> but uh shout out to my cousins for showing me child's play uh and me being a big fan of child's play uh, the sequels i watched the new one recently is pretty tight love Harvey plaza but uh the original child's play is sick and then uh land before time which i'm sure you watched a bunch too oh yeah love that. uh great time who is your uh who is your character uh, i love the little the little dude he was all cute. ducky ducky i'm pretty sure i was yeah ducky and uh uh sarah Sarah, she that was, was, I think my sister was down with Sarah when she had the tude. When she was born. Uh, yeah. Yeah, cool. I was just going to mention uh, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Uh, you know, it's it's all motivar, so it's it's uh, his very singular vision, and it has you know all the all the bright spots. But for me, it's not one of my favorite of his. Uh, it's I get just, that. It's, it's not as dark in tone. Um, the swings aren't as big, I think. Um, I do like that it's all pretty concentrated and focused in sort of like one apartment for an entire yeah. movie. This is a big hit. I think it's maybe the biggest, one of the biggest films of his career. Um, I could see it being that I could see it's a very, it's a, it's a great like crowd pleaser of a movie. Very crowd pleaser of a movie, but yeah. um, in, the, in, like the, in the best of ways. I mean, yeah, it's hilarious. Uh, Carmen Mora is just uh, so great in this movie. So funny. Rasta De Palma is great. Uh, Antonio Banderas is just turning in, third year in a row uh, with El Moldovar and each performance has been completely different. Oh yeah. Um, and fascinating and, uh, mm -hmm. and intricate. And, uh, and just, I really think that he's somebody who should be, I'm sure he is in Spain, but he should be more studied in, in, uh, in American theater schools, I think. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. For sure. He, he really does some really interesting things. And I, I feel like maybe he gets, not, I don't want to say written off because he's definitely, um, I think he's, he's been doing I, more important work in these last like two years. But. I feel like he's been coming to get a. I hope I had hope so at least that he's coming to get a little bit more respect. And I think it's always a thing when I, I think there's always some sort of kind of like barrier with a lot of people where they can't get over maybe the accent. And I think the same kind of goes for Salma Hayek. Uh, mm. And like who's uh, great too? Yeah, who's great? And um, I think maybe even like Marion Cotillard if they're not if they're if they're not watching 
them in their native language that kind of gets i think it does get lost in translation how fantastically like effective and incredible they can be yeah. um i think he does it in his in his english films as well i don't think there is that 100%. Like, barrier but i think that kind of you know stops a lot of people in their tracks a little bit but i think he's coming to get the recognition recognition more which is great well it- and he kind of uh, satirizes himself too, right? Like, yeah. you know, American audiences very much got to know him as Zorro. Yeah. And then he and then he does that again with like Puss in Boots. Yeah. And like in the Shrek movies. And but also like, like satir- doing very nuanced work within that. <laughs> Super know? funny. Yeah. Hilarious. He's really funny. And he's an uh, I just incredible think, comedic actor. I think that he's almost like one of those old school, uh, yeah, like character actors, like uh, like a Burt Lancaster or a Clark Gable even, or like yeah. one of these guys that could really do it, it all. Yeah. We just talked a lot about him, but really Carmen Mora is is the star of that movie and oh, she's yeah. uh, just incredible and um, also very much worth studying. I mentioned Tape Heads, which uh, uh, directed by Bill Fishman with uh-huh. featuring the mu- the music of Fishbone, yeah, and okay. uh, starring uh, John Cusack and Tim Robbins. Um, yeah, I've never seen Tapeheads, and I oh, uh, you like that's it. a huge oversight on my part. Yeah, yeah, you like it. I you know I actually tried to rent. So back in the day, back in two thousand five, mm-hmm. when uh, Netflix was a uh, was a DVD service that you would yeah. you'd basically load up a queue on on their website, and then they would send you uh, DVDs and yeah. little envelopes yeah. i tried to get tape heads like three times and every time Always it gone. came with a crack down the middle oh, and like scotch tape so i was like is this the same fucking copy that they keep? and i'd always send it back with a note like dude i'm, I'm trying to get tape so it took me years <laughs> to be able to see tape heads so annoying. and i finally did and it's really fun it's just a fun sure. comedy i think we're gonna get into our top fives now which i'm very interested right. to hear because i have no idea what yours is <laughs> we try not to i don't know what yours is either Yes, you would do. Mine's didn't change. It just changed position. I've had a busy week. Yeah, well, you know. Uh, okay, so my number five yeah. movie of this year yeah. is the hilarious uh, Bruce Bruce Robinson directed How to Get Ahead in Advertising, starring the uh, the always spectacular um, uh, Richard E. Grant. Mm-hmm. Um, this was both of their, uh, Bruce Robinson uh, Richard E. Grant's follow-up to uh, With Nail and I, which mm-hmm. was a number one pick for Brian and I. And uh, that was sort of a, a autobiographical film of, that Bruce Robinson made. This was his follow-up. Um, it's it's just a hilarious, underseen movie. I mean, it's kind of a cult classic now. I believe it's it's on the Criterion Collection. Um, it's basically about Richard E. Grant plays this uh, uh, ad man who um, is trying to figure out how to sell this cream, this pimple cream. And, um, you know, he's, he's very much sort of selling his soul and he's just sort of the soulless, like money obsessed, you know, guy, uh, careerist. And he uh, he starts developing a second, he's, he develops a boil on his neck from all the stress and the boil <laughs> starts uh, developing into uh, a second head. Oh, yeah. And, um, and uh, yeah, he's he's sort of uh, he loses his mind and um, and watching Richard E. Grant, it's really a one man show. I mean, he really it's I, I, I sort of it, it's akin very much to like later on where we see Jim Carrey sort of do these big movies where you're just seeing him just do hilarious, big slapstick. Just let him go uh, for it. Just letting him fucking go for it and monologue. And I mean, I, I think like Liar Liar owes a lot to this movie. Um, <laughs> It's really just like it's uh, it's an incredible gym- the gymnastic performance that he gives in this is just incredible. It's really really worth seeing. It's a great time. I recently showed this to Charlotte. She was laughing. I think that she enjoyed this one actually more than With Nell and I. Nice. Uh, it's less grim maybe, but it's also like like they live. It's also very um, uh, specifically you know um, critical of sort of Reagan era. I guess it wasn't Reagan. I guess Thatcher era eighties. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Thatcher era eighties. Um, th- those would be, that would be a good double feature. I think they live in the how to get ahead in advertising. There you go. Get both um, sides of the pump. Uh, so that was number five. Uh, how to get ahead in advertising. Uh, my number five is is much more uh, frivolous, and I have no problem with that at all because it is my number five and it's mine. I don't care. Uh, that would be the. Uh, Always, uh, <laughs> always interesting. Uh, Jean Claude Van Damme, Bloodsport. It's one I go back to all the time. It's a comfort film. 
Makes sense. I, it's uh, it's just a good time. It's something that uh, you know, one of those good ones that uh, you know, just kind of a palate cleanser. You're watching like a seven hour fucking you know, uh, you know, seven hour depress fest from uh, Hong Kong. Some kid who killed himself, and then you go, you know, it's three in the morning, and you blood sports on TV. You go, oh, that's 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 fine. That's nice. Um, so that's like, I have no problem having that as my number five. I'm sure there's other things I could have put from this other list, but in reality, like pure joy, Van Damme doing the splits and like, you know, you know, avenging his, uh, uh, dead, you know, his like injured brother or dead brother or whatever the fuck it is. That's, that's fine by me. That's a good time. Uh, let's be real. I don't care. Like, there's fewer cooler fucking names of a movie than Bloodsport. <laughs> right so like that's this is pretty sick. So I'm gonna go with Married to the Mob. Okay, uh, Jonathan Demi, number four, Married to the Mob. Because I I feel like this, I, and I I chose this especially because I feel like it might be one of our last opportunities to really talk about Jonathan Demi. We can get into Sounds of the Lambs later on, but that's a pretty widely. How much can you say about a perfect film? I remember seeing this movie a lot on television as a kid in parts. Uh, I always really liked this movie, but I I remembered it being sort of just like feeling like a very, whatever, 1980s kind of uh mainstream movie and then rewatch rewatching it uh just recently seeing how weird it is it's so weird and bizarre <laughs> and funny and the choices are just strange and very oh, yeah. much jonathan jonathan demi's oh yeah and he just doesn't give a fuck and at the same time he gives all the fucks yeah michelle pfeiffer i think has never been more more charming than in this movie michelle pfeiffer plays a character who's married to alec baldwin who's mm-hmm. you know works for works for the mafia and she wants to get out and she wants to get her and her kid out because she sees where that life is going and yeah. but it's very much just about her relationship with the other mob wives and how they yeah. invite her over for drinks or for you know game nights and stuff and how she just doesn't want to do that shit and how it offends everybody and he really sits on just the sort of the mundaneness of mob life, really, of just of just life. Uh, Matthew Modane plays a total weirdo, um, like almost like sociopathic. Like they yeah, show him yeah. very briefly in his house, and it's like a kind of situation where, first of all, my man sleeps on a fucking bunk bed, by but he's like <laughs> for no for no reason for no reason except that when he gets out of bed, he's got his pants like held up by strings so he can jump right into the pants like a cartoon. <laughs> And then he like hits this thing and, and like cat food comes out of all these places and the cats come and like, like it's like a home alone type situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very like back, uh, to the, very back to like, the future. Very like booby trapped to his like liking, if you will. But he plays it so weird. Like I can't figure out why she's attracted to him. <laughs> and, and like, even when like they start like being together and when he decides that she's okay, like I did read that he didn't get the script at all. Like he read, like he, uh, he didn't think it was funny at like all. Matthew Modine. He didn't think it was funny at all. And I guess he was super traumatized still from having shot Full Metal Jacket. Metal Jacket, yeah. Yeah, so he was just in a really weird place. Like, Maybe yeah. he was playing it like how Vincent D'Onofrio would. Maybe, I don't know. Alec Baldwin is great. In, he's only in about 20 minutes of the movie, but he's... Right. He plays it so fucking broad. And, uh, well, so... Hilarious. So, so far... Uh, in our oh, yeah, like, where, where are we on our Baldwin tracker, dude? On our Baldwin number, I was gonna say, uh, so we got Beetlejuice, Married to the Mob, Working Girl, and then we got another one coming. Baldwin was going ape shit in uh 88, he wasn't in much of any of these movies, so you no. can see how he had time to do it. But like, okay, number four for me, I'm going with uh, The Woodman, Another Woman. Jenna Rollins, uh, Mia Farrow, um, <laughs> this weird through the wall movie, just kind of a just kind of a beautiful movie about t- two women who are in similar places, um, but I don't know what probably fucking twenty years apart or something like that, and kind of seeing uh, the. Uh, resemblance or you know kind of seeing something in each other that you know reflective seeing the reflective thing in each other um and trying to help you know kind of helping each other so when i knew that it was on your list and i was it was just such a joy to watch her walk around and reflect and it was so deep and like i I think the most devastating line in the movie to me is where uh she 
she she's with her husband and they're they're at a party and the couple that they're yeah. talking to is talking about how they had just had sex on the floor yeah and um and she asks him you know that she's kind of in this rut with her husband yeah. where they, oh, yeah. they haven't had sex in a long time and um and and he she says like oh do you would you ever think about doing that you know with me I, i'm paraphrasing and he says yeah. i don't see you as the hardwood floor type and it's just <laughs> she just looks she looks fucking crushed though yeah by oh, it and God. um Jesus. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They don't fucking make them like that anymore. I'll tell you that. No, they really don't. They, <laughs> they really, really don't. Um, um, that was also eighty. That was also eighty-eight at that point, and so we're getting past the. That's kind of the start of where we got where we start getting like like really mean Woody, like <laughs> like well, very. He had, a, he had a lot going on in his life. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> Number three is I'm going to go with a short film about killing by Krzysztof Kislowski. Kislowski, yep. Uh, Polish film. Um, it's part of a, his, um, his Decalogue version, series. Right? Yeah, extended version. Uh, it's, it's one of 10 films that he that he made um, in the Decalogue series. And um, I have watched this. I watched this recently. I think Brian tried to watch it recently. Um, I it, tried to. I just wasn't. Yeah. I was not in the right headspace for it, uh, which yeah. is a, you know, a thing that happens. For those of you who have not seen it, I the murder sequence is one of the longest, most realistic and intricate things that I've ever seen in a movie. This movie's tinted fucking green, like a lot of Polish movies. I don't know why. Um, it's not my favorite thing to look at. I, I thought it was more like yellow. I was like yellowy. It's like yellowy. It's kind of piss like filter or something. Like it's, piss, just... it's like piss sheen, which I wasn't like, again, which I also like kind of took me like out of it and uh, it like, always oh, looks like old nitrate photographs from like fucking yeah. world war yeah too he takes always. that old photograph to the girl and says can you enlarge this and i was like this looks like more like an old photograph than that photograph yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was like you just took this outside yeah um, it's like new at this point but it, it's really worth watching. It's it's only like an hour and twenty five minutes. Twenty yeah, an hour like and twenty eight. Yeah, yeah. You know me. That's always a good selling point. Well, I saw um, that and I was stoked. But uh, like, yeah, I, said the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, sick. Um, uh. <laughs> yeah, my number three. Uh, it would be Bruce Weber uh, with his documentary about Chet Baker. Let's mm. get lost. Um, it's I. Great. It's just a beautiful heartbreaking heartbreaking movie i'm a huge chet baker fan and if you've ever heard any chet baker <laughs> i think you kind of know what you're getting into in terms of uh heartbreaking sadness in song in uh through his trumpet and his voice um you know which uh i'd heard uh some of his i guess instrumental stuff and then years and years and years ago years ago when i was a teenager and then heard him sing and thought oh wow that's the sound of uh something that you don't <laughs> i don't know want to experience every day just like oh wow this is infinite sadness bruce rub bruce is running around with him in la and he's like driving around and with flea yeah with flea which um uh i remember i remember that this film being like the impetus of me kind of knowing about like fleas like insane jazz credentials and like just yeah. you know how it, it, remarkably talented he is um later on because i mean we've obviously known since like you know fucking suburbia and uh what was that? dudes <laughs> <laughs> dudes and uh what's the, what was the other band he was in before goddamn uh I think it's my my favorite my it's my favorite uh photograph film photography wise of the year of this year yeah uh i mean yeah it doesn't really get very much better than so beautiful you know this one as for and especially for a documentary which kind of you know but it's also cool because it's uh you know it's la in the in the 80s and that's interesting in its own in its own right and yeah a, a lot of just somebody you know who's been around for a long time just kind of like hitting their spots you know it's like uh it's almost akin to like barfly you know where you're yeah. just like you're running around with this dude to his spots and you know he's fucked up and um but as it's crazy because as decrepit not decrepit but like you know as deterior you know he was de deteriorating at that point you know the voice was still had its it had the thing it's just like, oh man, you have you have the saddest saddest voice of any man. Yeah. 
who's ever and saw he it. dude he looks he looks 90 years old in that movie he looks Older. 107 years old. <laughs> and he's like 50 something yeah he's not like he's really not that old um um and that is my number three let's get lost by uh bruce weber from about chad baker uh which brings us to i guess two right two yeah yes. two yeah so two i'm cheating a little bit um number two my number two pick is just gary oldman he had two uh two fin- two of his finest performances i think this year the firm um which we'd oh yeah oh, yeah no, alan clark um which uh, you know he basically it's uh alan clark was this great director who uh really like captured sort of like the violent life of the british working class especially Never, during this period can't think of anybody who's done angry british men in the 80s no <laughs> no definitely not i mean you got tim roth and made in britain you got yeah. ray winstone in in scum and then you have i think his greatest film which is the firm which was actually like a bbc made for tv oh they're all film. like an hour they're only yeah. they're 72 i think one i think they're all like 72 minutes yeah and i, I mean, think the firm is 72 minutes i think made in britain is like six is literally an hour long yeah it's perfect and uh <laughs> and gary, yeah gary oldman plays like the the leader of like the, sort of the soccer hula, this soccer hooligan club mm-hmm. um with you know and uh married to the lovely leslie manville oh my god and she's so fucking great in this movie that scene where he his his baby son finds his finds fucking his knife, knife yeah. and like cuts himself. It's just it's one of the most traumatic things I've ever seen in a movie. I mean, it's yeah. so and just the fact that he cannot um, he cannot give it up though. Like no. he he said like she's begging him. She's saying like you're gonna lose us. Like we can't mm-hmm. do not go fight this other rival gang or whatever. And he's saying like I have to basically, I have to get off. Yeah, I have to. Like I exactly. I have to. And uh, it's just a great example of toxic masculinity, like, oh, yeah. and just like, but also like trying to hang on to like this, this youth and like mm-hmm. this, you know, his boys and his, uh, well, going to his and, uh, parents' house and like, you know, there's his, his old, his childhood bedroom is just covered in soccer paraphernalia and just like yeah. gathering up his fucking weapons and like, you know, going there when he gets, when he's in the doghouse and, you know, <laughs> his like little, it's, 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 quite literal representation going back to his youth because that's you know he can't give that piece up uh yeah great yeah and that that also yeah in that uh to that same effect in uh, track 29 which is a very bizarre movie directed by nicholas rogue um starring Teresa russell who is also his wife at the time nicholas rogue's wife um christopher lloyd uh who plays her husband who just couldn't be less interested in her he's just obsessed with his uh very expansive model train um collection okay. uh seymour seymour cassell uh right. and sandra bernhardt the great sandra bernhardt oh, who nice. plays uh christopher lloyd's uh lover mistress oh, in the film probably. and um it's a very bizarre movie about Teresa russell's character basically is this, this housewife who spends all day exercising and drinking and watching television and and she kind of never quite got over a, a having given up her child when she was a teenager and had gotten pregnant and um, and she knows that the child had ended up in England and one day Gary Oldman's character shows up and says basically says that he's her kid even though they're like not that different in age <laughs> and that and he he very much becomes sort of like they really have this very strange kinetic kind of like mother-son but also like very sexual relationship but then he gets obsessed with uh, the Christopher Lloyd character and there's this great scene where he destroys his train set I've already given away too much. My number two, uh, I don't really have to talk much about this. Um, I don't like, you know, there's not much to say. I just think it's one of those ones that's kind of a, you know, you can watch it whenever and it is always good. Uh, so it goes high up on my list and it's uh, Coming to America. Just uh, oh, yeah. talk about great character work. <laughs> fucking, uh, we got, you know, Eddie and Arsenio playing, I don't know, fucking 20 fucking people. <laughs> In this thing, playing so many people. Um, I think they play your granddad at one point, or Eddie plays your granddad in the barbershop. <laughs> My granddad, yeah. <laughs> um, Eddie doing fucking whiteface is fantastic. Oh, it's always, it's always, come on, it's always worth, worth the price of admission. Yeah. yeah, that alone. Um, you know, that movie could have just been the that movie could have just been the barbershop and sexual uh, chocolate and it would have been top five dead or alive like and then just everything chocolate. else yeah coming to america i don't have that much to say about coming to america everybody's seen it 
you know, don't let the fucking sequel ruin it for you. <laughs> like, I liked but, uh, the sequel. Uh, let's not. Um, but uh, <laughs> no. I thought that you enjoyed it. Uh, it's just like you know, it's like ruined the legacy of coming to America. I didn't think it did at all. Oh, it's no good. But whatever, coming to America is incredible. I put it as my number two. Um, just a great time. Just a great yeah. time. You know, just a great time. Um, when you get to good filmmaking, good story, people being peak funny, um, you know, everything coming together, you know, what else, what can you say? With that said, we come down now to our number one, 1988, your number one. My number one pick for the year 1988 is Borlues, or better known here in the States, The Vanishing by George Sluzer. Um, it's, uh, he's a Dutch director. Uh, the movie's in Dutch and uh, French. And French, yeah. Um, yeah, it's about a, a, a couple, a young, uh, good-looking couple who are on a, a bike journey through uh, France, and they stop at a gas station. Um, the, the girl goes in to the gas station and never comes back out, and um, the boyfriend Just- spends the rest of the movie looking for her proceeds to drive him mad for the next four years i i've loved this movie for a really long time um brian i believe just saw this for the first time and uh knowing that it was my number one pick and so i would like to know what your reaction was because this is a movie that has certainly no it's uh it's great it's funny because uh you described it you didn't give me any kind of sense of what the fuck it was about which was which i love and then when i watched it um as much as your log line holds true and is basically what the, you know, it's the basic gist of what it's about. It's completely not. It's more about mm-hmm. like this one fucking guy's like, you know, just descent into evil for the sake of evil, which uh, is something that I real don't think sociopath. We, yeah. Something that I don't think we really ever get a taste of um, like too often. I think the only times that we maybe have even maybe touched upon that is maybe like uh like Henry, portrait of a serial killer, something like that. Mm. But no, this is like, you know, just some fucked up shit. It's, uh, it's you know, it's, it takes this thing that you think is a you know fairly innocuous story about this girl who's vanished, you know, hence the title. Um, and it's really- I honestly have chills as, as, you're, as you're talking about it. I'm yeah, it's chills just thinking about it. Yeah, it's really about this guy who is just like evil for the sake of pure evil and the, uh, the true definition of a haunting, haunting film. And when you really think about the impetus for the action being set in motion, you really like, it's the more and more confounding it is. Mm. And the more and more, you know, you realize like, oh, wow, there's, I think, and that's the point, I don't know, without giving away too much, I think I want, you know, I think the, the point of the movie is there's true evil in this world that just is just because it is. Stanley Kubrick uh, was quoted as saying that it was the scariest movie he'd ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, I read that. That was or the most disturbing. The most disturbing. Yeah, yeah. it was um, yeah. A, a marvelous film, and I'm glad uh, for having seen it and for you having it on your list, um, and especially at number one because the minute it was over, I was like, yeah, I was just fucking knocked away. That was. Yeah. He remade his own movie too a few yeah, years the, later with. Was Kiefer it Jeff Bridges? Who's it? Jeff. He's a Kiefer. Jeff Sutherland. Bridges and Kiefer Sutherland, and yeah. um, he remade his own movie, and um, he. But uh, you told me he changed the ending, right? We changed the ending completely, you know, uh, negates the whole negates the entire point. Yeah. So yeah. maybe don't watch the, we're, the uh, just to be clear, we're very specifically talking about the original version and not the American remake. 1993. Yeah. yeah. I'm good on that. I'm good. on No, that. I never need to see that. And if you want a lesson, uh, a course in real haunting tension, uh, if you're looking, if you're whatever, if you're a filmmaker, if you're, yeah. you know, you work in, any kind of art and you're looking to build tension just in your life maybe yeah. uh, it's it's, show it's that a to great a blueprint or you gonna say the show it to a significant other without warning yeah oh yeah that's been my personal experience <laughs> exactly with my number one choice um from the year 1988 this is one that i remember watching um years ago maybe when i was in high school or uh i, I, I want to say like in high school or maybe that weird I don't know, year I went to college and faked it. Uh, one of the, sometime like that. And I remember being uh, taken aback by it and kind of just like loving it. And then 
when this year came up, I was looking through the list of movies and it's the one that jumped out at me and immediately I just threw it at number one. And I was like, well, I gotta watch this again and see if this holds up. And uh, Jake hadn't seen it either. And he had, uh, so no, so he ended up watching it. And uh, I think he shares a pretty strong admiration for it as well. Um, 1988, uh, that would be Oliver Stone and uh, like Oliver Stone and Eric Bogosian based on his, uh, right on his play, uh, Talk Radio. Oh, yeah. Uh, that would be Talk Radio starring Eric Bogosian, John C. McGinley, um, Alec Baldwin, uh, who is... Ellen Green. Ellen Green. And remember Alec Baldwin, this is number four. So it's Working Girl, Beetlejuice, Married to the Mob, and Talk Radio is the uh, four-headed uh, fucking dragon of character uh, acting that Alec Baldwin did in 1988 that's just... Uh, you know, kind of unfucking paralleled. <laughs> yeah, just bangers. And funny, uh, hilarious. I mean, a a dick. He's a dick in Working Girl. He's a dick in. Uh, maybe there's a theme. He's a thick in, in Working Girl. He's a dick in uh in a Married talk radio. Mob. He's a dick in in Married to the Mob. I think Beetlejuice is like the only sympathetic role. Married uh, to the Mob. He's pretty lovable though. A lovable dick. I mean, but that's Alec Baldwin's yeah. brand. I mean, that's, you know, that's, <laughs> that's kind of his thing. I think he's kind of the best, uh, like, white-collar actor ever. Like, he's so, he plays like that, just like that corporate asshole. We were, we were talking so about it. He well. plays a suit, like, so yeah, he plays, for such, for a guy who's such, like, a foul-mouthed, like, New York, like, fucking Long Island, you know, the, but, like, he's yeah. very funny at doing the, vo at doing, like, the voice and the persona in a suit. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Um, yeah. But anyway, talk radio um, is the story of Eric Champlain. Uh, this guy, Eric <laughs> Champlain, uh, or, or no, Barry Champlain, Barry Champlain, played by Eric Bogosian, um, who is a guy who was like a former like suit salesman who, uh, you know, has a golden voice and ends up on the radio, but he becomes kind of this incendiary um just figure on Texas late night radio, uh, which is like such a, <laughs> such a kind of, um, you know, random scenario. It's just like, Oh, this like, you know, kind of like shock jock kind of, uh, but like, an, but like an elevated intelligent shock jock. Um, and this guy who's just really kind of dealing with people and their problems people calling him like, you know, who have, you know, oh, this guy, you know, this one guy is, um, you know, he's pranking him. If it turns, turns out, but, uh, you know, it's talking about how he was been on drugs all weekend with his girlfriend and they're smoking crack and drinking and, 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 you know, just kind of these th people calling him to vent about a lot of things and him kind of taking that and, um, dealing with whatever kind of shit is thrown at him throughout the night. Um, and he's on the verge of, you know, getting this big deal to be syndicated on national radio. Um, but they, of course, as always are asking him to kind of, um, uh, I don't know, pull punches and maybe like, you know, sand down the edges on his show a bit and he doesn't want to. And, uh, but this is your first time seeing this. Right? Yes, it was, uh, another epic ending. You're right. Not, yeah. Uh, I think Oliver Stone is like up to some really interesting tricks with this one. I think it's some of the most interesting stuff that he's done with a camera. Um, for some, for something that is like basically takes uh, place in like an office, a radio, a radio studio booth, uh, like just a couple set pieces, but nothing too crazy, an apartment or two. Um, it's not like, you know, the fucking like, uh, you know, it's not like the backwoods of like Saigon or whatever the hell or El Salvador, you know what I mean? It's, it's a very contained, it's almost a chamber piece. Yeah. And the tension building again, in this one is just so wild. And, and with all these different callers, you're getting so many different, um, ideas and concepts of where the story is going to go. And, mm -hmm. and it's, there, it's, he's just constantly being threatened. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Why is he in Texas again? Did I miss something? I have no idea. I mean, I just, he's down it's like there. This I, Jewish New Yorker guy. It's like this Jewish, like New Yorker seeming dude, but he's like in tech. Again, one of those kind of inexplicable things that is part of the movie where he's just like been in Texas all these years. And uh, yeah, he's, th that's the thing. It's like, he's constantly, constantly being threatened, threatened on the radio, threatened by the mail, you know, like just all, all these different, you know, on the phone. It's just, it's kind of wild. Uh, the yeah, every time he gets a piece of mail, you that. think it's going to be a bomb. You think it's going to be a bomb, and then you know it turns yeah. out to be all kinds of just other disgusting stuff. Michael Wincott, the God. <laughs> oh, I think that's the highlight of the film. That scene. It is the highlight of the film. Uh, Michael Wincott, uh, who we are huge fans of, from I don't know anything from like him playing uh, Rene Ricard in Basquiat to the Three Musketeers. 
and uh the villain and like you know robin hood prince of thieves <laughs> just like yeah just you know one of my favorite character actors um that ever shows up in anything you know it's funny because it's tense at first and then you realize this guy's just a shithead he's just kind of like but he's also kind of a, a you know a stand-in for the american public and he's just uh mm -hmm. you know just wants to smoke his cigarettes and drink his pepsi and you know be a shithead and uh and have him his voice be heard though which is what we see heard, yeah what we see now is every single person. Absolutely. I mean, it's, can be I mean, like I said, it's a proto, it's 1988 and there's a prototype of now where it's just like, basically this guy was the Facebook wall or if you mm. will of, uh, or Twitter of like, you know, of the day you go and you go talk to this guy and, you know, he's trying to come at things from a relatively sane, you know, friend, a little bit frenzied and a little bit, you know, heightened sense of, um, urgency or just like, you know, uh, trying to you know trying to protect himself but he's coming at things from a pretty sane uh perspective and these people are just like putting all their shit on him you know whether it be mm -hmm. racial or sexual or you know drugs and alcohol abuse and just all these different kinds of things so it's a i mean it's a, you know i think it's it's a it's a one that you know funny enough we look at 1988 and yeah. i just remember popping out at me and i go oh wow watch it again and you go well this could be this could quite literally be today and of course, Oliver Stone would be the one to have his finger on the pulse of that and kind of, you know, recognize mm -hmm. that and film it. Mm -hmm. um, this was a Pulitzer, Pulitzer Prize nominated play. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, that, uh, and John C. McGinley's great in this as his like uh, producer, kind of the I think he was in the Frazier. original play. He was in the original play as well. Yeah, yeah. which was really cool. And you could see that chemistry uh, kind of, uh, you know, crossing over from stage to film. Alec Baldwin plays the like, you know, the local... Texas, uh, you know, head producer, you know, head of the station guy, and he's just great. Again, how how Eric, how Alec Baldwin and Eric Bogosian ended up in Texas, and John C. McGinley. <laughs> how all three of these guys converged in the Texas radio station. I when you just day. described Alec Baldwin as the Texan, radio, I was like, no, that's <laughs> no, as in like a as in like physical mullet. As in, like, physically located in Texas, but has no, yeah, no, nobody. It's like the, uh, it's like this and Last Temptation of Christ. Nobody's hiding their New York accents. It was a, it was a delight to know, yeah, that we hadn't seen each other's number ones. It gave us an opportunity to, to see them and talk about them. Yeah, do yourself a favor. Give a little taste to uh, The Vanishing. The Vanishing is a... Uh, 1988 version. Yeah, The Vanishing 1988 version is, uh, it's streaming on the Criterion Collection. And talk radio, I watched... Uh, I rewatched on YouTube. I, I I streamed it on YouTube. You can watch it on Prime Video. They're saying it's four bucks. I mean, so you know. I, I I rented it. Yeah, you rented it. Right, pretty easy, easy enough to rent. Yeah. Um, not one of those impossible to uh, find ones. So uh, give them a give them a try. And uh, I think until the next time, uh, this is you know, Gore and Brian saying uh, later days. <laughs> 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 <laughs>